You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back, folks, to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame athletics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today's episode, we are doing a crossover with Locked On Bama's Jimmy Stein to talk about this Friday's matchup against Alabama. We will also be providing you with a recap of the Notre Dame UVA basketball game that is being that was played last night at 6 p.m. Before we get into that, folks, I am Joe DeLeon, former college long snapper from the University of Rhode Island, joined by my co-host, Ryan Roberts, who is the director of scouting at NFL Draft Bible. All right, now on today's show, we will be doing a crossover episode for the Rose Bowl against Alabama. Today's crossover episode joining us is Locked on Bama's Jimmy Stein, uh, the recruiting and media coordinator at Quarterback Country and also Inside the Crimson Tide on 99.5 in Mobile, Alabama. Jimmy, thank you so much for taking the time to hop on with us. We've obviously got a high stakes game this weekend. How are you doing? Doing great. Really excited that uh, both of our schools were able to play through the strangest season of all time and uh, and, and just get to the end and, and, and to be in the playoff at the end is uh, is so much fun. It's unbelievable. I'm just glad we got a season in and, and to be in the playoffs is just uh, it's just gravy. Right. I don't know if college basketball is going to have the same success, but to, to make it this far when things are starting to get a little bit complicated uh, with being able to just to play sports, it's fantastic that we've been able to at least finish out this season. I want to get to, I got a really important question here to ask you. The, the, the big headline surrounding this game that everybody was talking about as soon as the betting lines came out was how much Alabama was favored by. Per bet online, the line has now moved to minus 20 for Alabama. So I just got to ask, where do you stand on this? Do you think that the, the game is going to be closer than that line, or do you agree with it? Do you think 20 points sounds about right? No, I, I, I think the game's going to be closer than that. I, I think Alabama, because of the consistency of success going back to 2008, 2009, I think almost every single line that Alabama gets from from, from the, the bet online uh, folks uh, and everywhere is just – it's three, four, five points too high. It seems in, in every game Alabama plays, really. However, Alabama does cover that line often. Uh, obviously, Alabama's margin of victory this year is is is, is a school record. Um, but I know I think this line is too high. Uh, but I, I I think I say that every week Alabama plays. And Jimmy, I want to talk about a couple of your offensive weapons to start here with me because I, I know yesterday on our show we talked heavy about Devonta Smith, heavy about Mac Jones, Najee Harris, obviously two of those guys, Heisman finalists with Mac Jones and Devonta Smith. From your perspective, is there someone that you think is the clear favorite of those two if one of them does take the trophy home? And is there a player, in your opinion, that is more deserving than the other? Well... I think I think uh, Devontae Smith is very likely to win the trophy. I think he's going to get more first place votes than any of the other candidates. And the best case for Devontae is, is simply this. Mac Jones, I think, had a Heisman worthy season. Every year there's more than one guy that's worthy. There's more than one deserving guy. Even Ian Book, in my opinion, is deserving. Uh, he had a fantastic season. There have been 
other years in which Ian Book might even be a clear favorite. But I think Devontae's best case is this. Mac Jones is deserving. He had a Heisman winning type season. But I think almost any Alabama fan would tell you that the best player on the team is Devontae. So how can you give that the, the Heisman trophy to Mac Jones when he's not even the best player on his team? That's Devontae Smith. So I think that's his best case while both are deserving. I think Devontae's more likely to win it than Mac. My worry uh, as an Alabama fan is just simply this. I wonder how many voters nationally will include both players on their ballot. I think it could cost Devontae if some voters are like, well, I'll vote for Mac, but I'm not going to put two Alabama guys on my ballot. So someone like Trevor Lawrence, I think, could really benefit if voters uh, across the country are hesitant to put two Alabama guys in their three spots on the ballot. So I, I worry that Trevor could could win it because of the math. But I think Devontae Smith will get the most first place votes. Since uh, Steve Sarkeesian took over the offensive play calling and he's led this offense, it's been a little bit up and down, but this year definitely clear that he has a handle on this offense considering the crazy production, the numbers that you guys are putting up right now per game. I think it's like over 500 yards per game, is, which is just crazy. and under, It makes sense why Sarkeesian won the Broyles Award for best assistant, assistant coach in the country. In your opinion, what do you think has been different this year for Sarkeesian? What do you think has helped the offense just move so more effectively? It's like every, you know, it's the recruiting. Uh, Alabama has been so fortunate to have a lot of great players, especially over the last 12 years. But to have a Heisman worthy wide receiver to start the season with two, Jalen Waddell. Uh, really is in the same sphere as Devontae Smith in terms of a playmaker, in terms of how good Waddle was, and then Alabama lost him uh, about halfway through the season. But but to have a Heisman-worthy wide receiver, a Heisman-worthy quarterback, uh, Najee Harris, clearly one of the top two or three or four running backs in the country this year, if not number one. Uh, the offensive line is, is a Joe Moore you know, finalist, is one of the, the best offensive lines in college football. And then you have – an experienced, high-quality offensive coordinator running the show. It's like every piece is in place. And I'm sure some critics will say about Sark winning that award is, uh, gosh, anybody could coach those guys. That's that's probably – there's some truth to that. But a lot of coaches have a lot of talent, and, and I think what Sark has done is incredible because even with all that talent, he's still maximized it. This unit is as good as it can be. Uh, 50 points a game against 11 SEC opponents and over 500 yards and a, a margin of victory each week uh, that, that's into the 30s. Uh, it's just crazy, the, the production. So Sark, yeah, he was handed a Ferrari, and you know what he did with it? He won the Indy 500 with it. <laughs> I mean, he, he, did, he did exactly as good as you can do, even though he's obviously blessed with a lot more players than, uh, than most programs have. And Jimmy, is there in, in respect to Coach Sark? Is is there a feeling maybe around Tuscaloosa that th this might be the final hurrah from Sark? Maybe getting a bigger job as a head coach on the college level, or maybe even into the NFL somewhere. I think that's a certainty to happen. If not, if not now, then next year. It's a certainty. Uh, Sark, you know, we all know why he lost his job at USC. It was a personal off the field issue. Mm -hmm. He was not fired for losing. Uh, he won at Washington as a head coach to the point he could get the Southern Cal job. So this is a guy that had some 
good success as a head coach that had a personal problem that has you know, been rectified to this point. There's been zero issues at Alabama or with the Atlanta Falcons uh, where he was for, for a couple of seasons. Uh, you know, he, he's worked for Nick Saban. Uh, Coach Saban likes him a lot. He's now the uh, – Sark is the highest paid coordinator in all of college football. Uh, so he's not going to leave Alabama for just any head coaching job because, you know, he's making $2.5 million at Alabama. So it, he's not just going to leave for any job, but he's clearly should be on the short list at a lot of power programs. And he's had some NFL experience. So I think everybody, everyone's realistic about it. The fact of the matter is Sark has done so well at Alabama. I think if you polled Alabama fans, uh, Sark might be the overwhelming favorite among Alabama fans to succeed Nick Saban. Uh, whenever that happens. So there's that, but, uh, but Sark's not going to stick around waiting for that to happen. I think if he gets, you know, there's a lot of rumors in the past week or two that maybe Texas uh, could make a change and Sark would be near the top of their list. Uh, obviously a, a lot of NFL jobs will open up one week from Sunday or uh, as, as is tradition. Uh, so, so we'll see. I think Alabama fans are realistic that, that Sark's going to get a, uh, a whopper of an opportunity somewhere very soon. And if we can move over to the defensive side of the football, obviously there has been some uneven play. There's been some good stuff, obviously, against a team like an Ole Miss, Florida, in the SEC Championship game. The defense has been very up and down. Uh, what has been the strength for this group? Let's start there. What have been the positives most on the Alabama defensive side of the ball? I think over the second half of the season, the pass rush has dramatically improved. First half of the season, uh, this group was pressuring the quarterback and affecting the quarterback but not really getting home uh, over the second half of the season, Alabama started to get home. Uh, uh, I think 23 of the 31 sacks uh, over the season have just been in the past five games. So uh, Alabama's pass rush has significantly improved and, and uh, Alabama is very dependent on some true freshmen. I think uh, Notre Dame fans would be surprised to learn that with, with the recruiting at Alabama that happens every year, but we have a surprising number of true freshmen in the lineup an, an outside linebacker that led the sec in sacks uh, as a true freshman, Will Anderson, uh, a true freshman that has started all season long at Nickelback and Malachi Moore, uh, another safety that plays when Alabama is in dime named Brian Branch, who's a, a, a true freshman, and a nose guard named Tim Smith, who's not the starter at nose guard, but he plays at least half the snaps now and is proving to be Alabama's most productive nose guard. So that's that's four true freshmen that play significant roles, considering there was no spring practice and a weird fall camp it's taken a while for those freshmen to really turn into productive players. They were sort of in over their heads in September and October, but are now playing like veterans and, and they're obviously real talented kids so they wouldn't be out there. So I think the maturation of the true freshmen uh, as well as an improved pass rush has made the difference. But let's be honest, this, this is not the Nick Saban defense that Notre Dame fans might remember from 2012. The, the, this, uh, the emphasis is on the offense. The offense is the best unit. This defense is good statistically. I think it's probably second or third best defense in the SEC, which means you're pretty good and you're pretty good nationally. It's not bad, but it's not to be confused with the defenses that Nick Saban put on the field at Alabama from like 2008 all the way through maybe 2017. Alabama's defense was really elite. Uh, now Alabama's defense is just good, but, uh, but the offense is uh, really impressive. So to wrap us up here from our side of things, asking you questions before we flip sides, Jimmy, we love to grab a score prediction just to hear 
What do you think the final score is going to be? You already touched on how you think it's going to be closer than that 20-point line for Alabama. What do you think the final score is if you had to give one off the top of your head? Uh, I'm going with like 38 to 21, uh, which is 17 points. But I say that with a caveat. Uh, like I've said, every time I've been asked that this week, and I've, uh, I've been consistent with that score is this. Uh, I think where Notre Dame's strengths are to me, and I haven't seen, obviously I haven't seen Notre Dame, you know, all, all of the, all of y'all's games, but I've seen a few. Uh, Notre Dame's strengths on offense sort of play into Alabama's weakness on defense, which is uh, getting the ball to the back out of the backfield, uh, Ian Book moving the pocket, Ian being a dual threat guy, uh, using those tight ends as weapons. Alabama's got two outstanding cornerbacks, and Brian Kelly talked about that in his press conference this week. Uh, Patrick Sertan and Josh Job are, are, are future first-round picks. The corners are outstanding. But the, the weakness has been in the middle deep. You know, the safeties are inexperienced and, and, and below what Alabama has been putting out on the field, frankly, and the linebackers have struggled in coverage. So throws to the back, throws to the tight end, that, that's been a problem for Alabama all season long, and, and Ian Book and Notre Dame's offense excels at that. So I'm not going to be surprised at all to see Notre Dame drive the length of the field multiple times, uh, make some big plays, and have quite a bit of success on offense, uh, more so uh, than a lot of Alabama fans think, really. So I, I suspect that Notre Dame's going to move the ball and score uh, quite a bit now. Defensively, Notre Dame is one of one of the better defenses Alabama has played. Uh, but Alabama's lowest offensive output all season has been the 38 points they scored in the opener against Missouri. And uh, I think Notre Dame being maybe the best, second or third best defense Alabama's faced all season, I'm, I'm expecting Alabama to be held below their average of 50 points a game. So 38 to 21 is how I see it, but the game sort of – being a little closer than that score indicates, I, I think Alabama may win, but never be super comfortable. Uh, and, and it'll sort of play out that way. Folks, before we continue on with this discussion and we flip sides with Jimmy Stein, I want to talk to you about Bet Online. Are we ready for some football? College football heads into bowl season, and there are some big matchups this weekend. The NFL regular season is finishing up with the playoff picture becoming clearer. There is only one place that has you covered and one place that we can trust. That is Bet Online. Dot ag sign up today for a free account at bet online and use promo code locked on for your 50 percent welcome bonus don't be the guy like me who your friends text you and ask you for sports advice because you watch so much sports and they ask you for betting advice you tell them which games to pick but you don't put your own money down do not be like me i make my friends so much money on a weekly basis and i am tired of it which is why i signed up for bet online do not sit on the sidelines anymore get in on that action don't forget to use that promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit bet online your online sportsbook experts Betting on Notre Dame doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick-hitting advice to make the smartest possible wager. Subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts. 
you know, obviously Notre Dame's on, on TV every week. Everybody is familiar with Ian Book and, and, and uh, Colin Williams at, at running back and the All-American, you know, Jeremiah, the outside linebacker. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, but, you know, <laughs> linebacker Jeremiah and uh, Kyle Williams, a safety, an outstanding player. I think we, we know those guys, but I think in terms of a, a great question for, for, for both of you guys, Ryan and Joe, is – Alabama's last experience with Notre Dame well, was a blowout win for Alabama in 2012. How do you guys compare where Notre Dame is at personnel-wise in 2020 compared to 2012? Do you all feel Notre Dame is better today than they were that season? Yeah, I, I definitely think that they're a lot better. I think the big differences that you point out to is you have – an actual playmaker at the running back position, and I think you have a much better quarterback. Everett Golson was, you know, was great in his time at Notre Dame, and he was a big reason why they were undefeated that season. But I would rather have Ian Book over Everett Golson any day. I think that Ian Book is a lot more matured. Ever, Everett Golson was very young at that point in time, and you could really see that he was a deer in headlights. That was also not a very well-rounded team. There were a lot of younger guys that were stepping up. So right now, this is a veteran group. The offensive line, I would argue, is a little bit more balanced across the board. You have, again, that veteran quarterback. And then the biggest thing for me is you have a stronger running game. That run game, I think, is going to be important for having success in this game because you didn't have that back in 2012. You didn't really have um, that consistency or a, a de facto playmaker like you do with Kyron Williams. Yeah, and I think that the big difference is, and one that Joe really mentioned that I think is is really important to note is Ever Golson, as a redshirt freshman, was taken on Alabama in, in 2012. We have a fifth-year senior at quarterback in Ian Book, and I think that the moment isn't going to be too large for him. And I think that the one big other emphasis on offense is Notre Dame's offensive line has been solid for several years, but this unit is head and shoulders above 2012. We have guys left tackle all the way over to right that are going to play in the NFL. Even with Jared Patterson being out for center, Zeke Corral is, is going to be a guy that a lot of people are going to get very familiar with over the next couple of years. So I think the offensive line from left all the way over to right tackle has guys that you're going to see on Sundays at a high level. And I think the biggest difference on defense, you mentioned Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, Kyle Hamilton. It's a lot more athletic of a defense. They ran. They were with Bob Diaco back in 2012 running that 3-4 alignment. They had some guys like Lewis Nix and Stephon Tuitt who were big physical guys, but they weren't incredibly athletic. Monty Teo was, of course, the headliner of that group. Wasn't the most athletic linebacker. What Notre Dame has a lot more than they had in 2012 defensively is a lot more game speed. Jeremiah Wusukoromo is a legit athlete on the second level. Kyle Hamilton has a ton of speed. They run a 4-3 instead of a 3-4 now, so they have a little more edge rush potential, a little more athletes on the edge in general. So I think that there are definitely things that have changed a lot in Notre Dame, and, and I would say that I'd be comfortable to say that this team is definitely a higher level and a higher cut of a team than that that we saw in 2012. Yeah, Mac Jones went out of his way to mention how good uh, Kyle Hamilton is on tape and uh, saying that, you know, he's clearly one of the best defensive backs Alabama's faced all year. How do you, how do you guys explain the difference between the difference in how Notre Dame looked and played in uh, the first game against Clemson versus the second game? Uh, Obviously, that's a game that, that almost all Alabama fans watch, both games. And, you know, everybody points out, well, you know, you had Trevor in the second game, but Clemson's young freshman quarterback played very well in the, in the game at South Bend. He played really well in that game. Uh, but how do y'all explain uh, the difference between how Notre Dame played in that first game versus the second game versus Clemson? 
So I know Ryan's definitely going to bring up some of the the zone read stuff that we've talked about a ton, but for me, the big difference was you could see that this group was not entirely focused, and we spent a lot of time talking about after that game the distraction that was placed on the the whole defensive group because Clark Lee announced middle of the week, and I think it was on a Wednesday, heading into the ACC championship game that he was leaving for Vanderbilt. And that's fantastic news, and it's great for Clark Lee, but the timing of it was absolutely terrible because any news like that, even if you are happy for your coach, it's something that you're taking away from your focus. You're, you're going to have young guys thinking about their future and if they're going to be able to start down the line. You're going to have veterans that might be just ask questions about it, and they're not focusing entirely on the game plan, but instead on their head, uh, their defensive coordinator leaving. I think that that really hurt them, and they've justifiably looked very distracted at very various points in this game, especially because they just didn't have any energy. Yeah, and, and I, I'm definitely I'm going to bring up the zone read aspect of the Clemson offense because DJ Uyunglele is a very talented quarterback, and like you said, he threw for over 400 yards. So it wasn't like the quarterback position was a problem, but the difference was. Notre Dame had a high point point of emphasis. We're going to shut down the run game because we know who Travis Etienne is. Everybody knows who Travis Etienne is. We need a full-out effort to stop him. And the difference, the biggest difference with Trevor Lawrence in there now is he has that extension off of the zone read. He has that not only as a runner, but also playing into the RPO game as well. That plays into his strength. So you won't just have to account for one football player in the run game. You had to count for Trevor Lawrence off of it. And I think defensively, that was the biggest problem for Notre Dame is that you had to be so much more clear to reading your keys than just kind of letting loose and pinning your ears back a little bit to stop in the run. And that really played into Clemson's favor. And their defense now, the biggest difference was Notre Dame the first game, Kyron Williams ran for over 140 yards. Why was that? The offense line was healthy. Jared Patterson now has been out for a couple games. But the biggest difference for me was Clemson into that game, the first game, where without Tyler Davis, their star defensive tackle, they were without James Skalski, their their um their the probably the biggest, most important player on their defense playing middle linebacker. Not the best football player, but he's the leader of the defense. The inside of the defense was a lot stronger for Clemson, which didn't allow Notre Dame to get the run game going too much. And the extension of Trevor Lawrence, it was really about who won the ground in that second matchup, and Clemson was able to have the answers that Notre Dame was able to really puzzle them with the first time around. This is sort of a, a macro question, not so much about specifically this team, but uh, have you guys enjoyed being in a conference? I mean, have you, have you enjoyed that, or do you really look – look forward to your coming independence coming back or you're all sort of addicted to the conference race now no i'm excited to go back to being an independent team the benefits from being an independent are clear and we understand why they choose to be independent they can negotiate their own tv deal they are not responsible for a revenue share but i mean separate from that i mean this was fun this was fun this year to come in and, and knock around all the acc teams and almost win an acc championship game and prove everybody wrong that they that they can compete in a conference they didn't finish the goal of winning the conference championship but they did come pretty damn close i think they proved a lot of people wrong i was entertained by it but we know for a fact that it's probably better to be um an independent team for them and I, I think it's a season of chaos, so it was good to have a little stability, right? Like you knew kind of what teams you were looking at, the conference structure, the ACC championship game. It would have been a lot sweeter if Notre Dame would have won the ACC championship game in their lone season in conference. But like Joe said, 
not only just the TV uh, revenue and, and having that that um, that big bonus for Notre Dame, it's also Notre Dame with the restrictions they have academically, the ability to recruit nationally and have that national schedule is a big play into why it's such a special place to come to a Notre Dame aside from you know just being on campus. So I feel like there's a lot more positives to being not, not in a conference than there are. But it was different and it was definitely entertaining, and I definitely enjoyed the fact, the structure that it did bring in a season that could have gone wayward in a hurry as Notre Dame being a de- independent. Well, Alabama fans know the big stars. They know Ian Book. They know they know the running back, Williams. They know Kyle Hamilton at safety, Jeremiah, the, the pass rusher. Give Each one of you give me a player that maybe Alabama fans don't know that's going to show up Friday and be a significant player in this game. Uh, for me, I would say Dalen Hayes or Adi Ogundiji. Both of them are talented defensive linemen. They're names that maybe aren't household ones. And you're going to get caught up with, especially the commentators are going to, are going to get caught up talking about Jeremiah Usu-Koromoa and, and Kyle Hamilton. But guys like that, if they come out and perform well, they are going to need to not only play well against the run, but you're going to need those guys to create some pressures and get some sacks on Mac Jones. And I think that's where the success in this game is going to come from is if you can get after Mac Jones, can you rattle him a little bit if you're playing the run well enough? I think you could maybe create some turnovers and keep yourself in this football game. I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to go with one position but two football players, okay? So cheating just a little bit. Tight end position. <laughs> Michael Mayer, we have a, fr- a true freshman tight end who is all of 6'5", 250 pounds. He has been Notre Dame's leading tight end this year receiving-wise, and he's uh, and he's a freshman All-American by all publications, potentially. Like, that's what type of caliber football player he is. You know, he's one of the new, like, oh, baby Gronk. Everybody's a baby Gronk now that's tall and white and really good at tight end. So, Michael Mayer's the one. The guy that I'm really interested to see, though, how Notre Dame uses them against Alabama is Tommy Tremble, number 24. He's their other tight end who he isn't just an inline player. They play him at H. They play him at fullback sometimes. I really think if Notre Dame's going to have success against Alabama, they're going to have to create a lot of misdirection, a lot of movement, a lot of motion. Like there's good, They're going to have to try to really confuse second-level defenders. And I think Tommy Tremble's kind of that moving chess piece that isn't just – Hey, he's a good receiver because he is. He's talented in that in that regard. But he is doing all the blocking duties for multiple positions. He's that movement guy that I think could create some problems potentially for Alabama. Yeah, there's been three games this year uh, against Ole Miss faced a tight end uh, named Yaboa, who's a good NFL prospect, Wittermeyer at Texas A&M, and then Kyle Pitts in the last game against Florida. All three of those tight ends had monster games against Alabama. So uh, that is something that uh, Alabama's had trouble with. But, of course, those have all been difference-making players. I mean, it's not just any. Those those have been the only three, and they're difference-makers. But it sounds like uh, you guys have one, too. I won't be surprised at all if Alabama has difficulty uh, covering that kid, or both kids, really. So uh, what's the scores from you guys? Ryan, you can go ahead first. Okay, uh, so this is me being an optimistic Notre Dame uh, person, just to put this out here, okay? Yeah, I think if Notre Dame has a chance of winning this football game, they have to win a dogfight, and they have to force this game to being a slow-paced, methodical game. I had 28-25, to 25, a little bit of an odd score prediction, but I think that if Notre Dame has a chance of winning – in reality, this might not be what I really think it is, but if Notre Dame has a chance of winning 28-25 to 25 Irish. Yeah, I, I was a little bit different than Ryan. I think that regardless if Notre Dame wins this football game, which I think we would definitely anger our listeners if we didn't pick Notre Dame, and I also am extremely optimistic that they can play well enough to possibly win this game. 
if Notre Dame wins, the way I'm looking at it, it's going to have to be a close one. This is not going to be, um, you know, you can score a garbage time touchdown and push your lead. It's going to be, um, I think the score I went with was uh, 38 to 35 was what I think it's going to be. Well, we'll uh, we'll find out. And, and hey, regardless, it's it's great to be in the playoff to to be one of four uh, still alive for the national championship, especially in this COVID season. And uh, really appreciate. It. I'm a fan of Brian Kelly. I think he's a really good. I, I said on my uh, on the radio show the other day. Uh, there's a lot of talk that maybe when Nick Saban uh, his career at Alabama is over, he should be the czar of college football, be in charge of everything. Uh, I think of Brian Kelly in that same way. Uh, Real bright guy, very intense, uh, always has a great answer for everything. And if, uh, if Nick Saban doesn't care to be a czar of college football, I think Brian Kelly would uh, would make a good one. But uh, appreciate you guys uh, doing the show today. Uh, a lot of fun and looking forward to Friday afternoon. Oh, yeah, definitely. Thanks for uh, coming on to do this. And we'll be watching diligently. We'll see how things turn out. Uh, wishing you the best of luck, Jimmy. And uh, we'll see how things end up on Friday. If you're not doing so already, make sure you go and hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of our latest content. Getting into this last part of the show, I am recapping Notre Dame's loss to Virginia, a 66-57 loss against their first ACC opponent of the year. And just a couple quick takeaways. Looking through the box score, you see the fact that Nate Lashevsky had a fantastic game, 28 points, six rebounds. And then conversely, a guy who is a bit of a surprising performance, you have Juwan Durham, 19 points, only five rebounds, but 19 points coming off the bench. Cormac Ryan, zero points is, is highly disappointing. And then Prentice Hub, a guy who has been a consistent scorer, only scores four, currently on a bit of a cold streak. Just taking a look at this game, this was a close game for a majority of it. Halftime, it was actually only 30-24, to 24, and there were a couple of spurts where Notre Dame was within a couple of baskets of actually being able to take over this game. But as we know, this Notre Dame team has not shown the capability to take over in those tight spots. And some of the issues that they've shown is a lack of ability to rebound and a lack of ability to consistently shoot three-pointers. And it just so happens the statistics fully support that, where you notice they were out-rebounded 35-31, to 31, and they only shot 25% from three on 23-point attempts. Those are two things. First of all, the, the rebounds, being out-rebounded is something that we're not unaccustomed to at this point. It's something that we've seen consistently they're playing a team that's not good at rebounding. They were still out-rebounded. But the thing that kills me here is to only shoot 25% from three, not taking enough good looks, not having enough good opportunities, really killed them in this game. That's always been something that Notre Dame has hung their hat on. And so far this season, what has been a reliant source of offense is the ability to shoot from deep. We know that they don't have any low post scorers, and uh, Jawan Durham has a good game, which is, again, uncharacteristic, something that you're not typically used to seeing for this Notre Dame basketball team. But the thing that kills them, they allowed him to go for those, those low post points. They allowed Jawan Durham to pick up a lot of those points down low, but they couldn't shoot from three, and a lot of their guys could not consistently shoot 
from deep. And that, I would argue, that completely kick, killed them. Prentice Hub is the, the biggest culprit here, 0 for 6 from three-point range. Going 0 for 6 and only scoring four points is not what you need from a guy who is averaging over 20 and who we talked about at the beginning of the year as being a de facto player who needs to step up. Prentice Hub not stepping up to this occasion. The guy played 39 minutes and he only scored four points. That is not what you need if you want to win basketball games. And the, the last thing I want to wrap this up with, Nate Lashevsky has been fantastic. Lashevsky has stepped up over the last few games. And right now, I think he's established the fact that he is going to be that go-to scorer over this final stretch. Not final stretch, sorry, this next stretch of games. This, this long stretch of ACC games. If that counts as a final stretch. Didn't mean to mince my words there. But Lashevsky, fantastic player right now. Rebounding pretty well, but the scoring is going through him. He's the only one who is consistently getting to the line, shooting well from deep, shooting well from the floor. The rest of the guys have to catch up. And if, if this Notre Dame team wants to turn it around at 3-5 and five right now, they are going to need to play more consistently and they're going to need more guys to step up. You can't have one player who scores over 25 points and the rest can't even get over five. You're not going to win basketball games that way. They need to come to play against Pitt. They have a decent stretch of next the, the next few games where Pitt's a winnable game. Georgia Tech is a winnable game. We don't have a preview for Pitt because that game is being played on Saturday. Georgia Tech, that is going to be played next week, so we'll provide a preview. Virginia Tech is a decent program. They play UVA again, so they'll have their number. And then after that, Boston College is 1,000% a winnable game in addition to Howard, who is immediately after that. So if you can come out of that next following stretch, I see two likely losses in Virginia Tech and UVA. If you can come out of that stretch let's say three and five, sorry, um, five and two. If you're five and two after that stretch, I think that is ideal what they need to work towards. That's going to be it from us, folks. We'll see how things turn out in the Rose Bowl as we are obviously rooting for a Notre Dame victory. Uh, Folks, if you haven't done so already, please go hit that subscribe button to stay up to date on all of our Notre Dame athletics content. Additionally, follow us on social media at Joe DeLeon, at Rise and Draft, and at Locked on Irish on Twitter. If you're looking for something else to listen to, folks, head on over to Locked on College Football to get yourself ready for all of the games coming up over the next few days. We'll talk to you on Monday, folks. 